and then the cycle just continues mm-hmm. turtles all the way down turtles all that's new name of the pod turtles all the way down everything is broken it's broken turtles all the way down howdy and welcome to you can grad school y'all i'm kate and i'm dustin And we're happy to have you with us, especially to our Texas listeners. We found out recently that an abundant, the majority of our listeners or a significant portion of our listeners are from Texas. So we wanted to say thank you for listening. We like your state the best and turn Texas blue, Um, which I would assume the listeners would be already on board with that message. Yeah. Yeah. But we need to be sure. Yes. Turn it blue. Um, so we're happy to have you with us. This will come out after election day, but, uh, we're not going to talk about the election. Um, no plans to. No, we didn't. That was a surprise to both of us. I just, I was like, what do I associate with Texas? It's like turn Texas blue is like the biggest and everything is bigger in Texas, including our listenership. There you go. That was good. I only thought of stereotypical things in texas that probably wouldn't be flattering to listeners in what texas. about sandy cheeks oh there you go yeah <laughs> austin yeah astronauts thank you texas is it texas i thought it was indiana Houston. Ohio. we have a problem oh <laughs> i was like astronauts the most astronauts come from ohio isn't that right oh is that true oh that's really cool I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. maybe yeah. Well, they that doesn't speak well of Ohio. They hate Ohio so much they want to leave the planet. Huh? Yes. To our Ohio listeners, I apologize. What's it cross isn't the what's the name of Ohio? Ohio? What's their thing? No, no, sorry. What's <laughs> What do you mean what's their thing? What's their thing? Like, is it Indiana? Like, the, the crossroads of America. It is? Uh, I think so. There's something when I'm driving up to Chicago, when I used to drive up to Chicago, that it'd be like, blah blah the crossroads of America. Oh, I was like, Ohio. Oh, we there is some, there's, we've had one download in Ohio. There's nobody in Maine. We have no, zero Maine. Okay, well, that's rude. I know. Uh, nothing, nothing in Colorado. We're just going to hate on all the states. This is this is changed podcast. It's not you can grad school. It's your state sucks ass. Except for Texas. Yeah, Texas, California's up there, and Virginia, too. Hello, uh, California. Virginia's for open science lovers, and that's all I've got. Um, <laughs> let's see. How far can you go? Illinois is, is high up there. but More like... Uh, no, I don't have a good one for Illinois because I used to say how annoying. Um, but that's not positive. <laughs> Come on, feel the Illinois, the title of uh, what's his name's album. Uh, you look at me like I should know, and I don't. Sufjan Stevens, great album. That's my future direction. Just getting it in early. Nope. It was. It's too late for last episode and too early for this one, so you can't. All right. All, okay. Off. So this is a light recommendation then. All right. So on this disorganized episode, we plan to talk about stats. 
stats. Beer. Uh, Women wait. things. Wait, what was the second one? Stats. Oh, stats, grades, beer, and women right. things. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's get started with talking about stats. So Dustin uh, retweeted a tweet yeah, today? Uh, yesterday. It was yesterday when it came out. I don't know when I retweeted it. And what did that tweet say? <laughs> At a top business school, women receive lower grades and quantitative courses compared to men who have similar academic aptitudes, GPAs, family backgrounds, and demo as captured by their college applications. The gap closes if the instructor is female. Thoughts? <laughs> I should have higher quant grades. They should retroactively fix it. Um, just kidding. I, well, so I have, I have thoughts. Um, on one hand, like I, it's sometimes interesting when your biases or your thoughts like are confirmed by one piece of research. So obviously you want to look at the body of evidence and we are scientists here. So you kind of wait and see what like some resulting studies or lines of inquiry are from this. But at the same time, like I think something we've talked about and something we've noted uh, just in conversations with each other mm-hmm. is the lack of uh, women and women of color in particular in the quant space. Um, It seems to be pretty limited to men. Um, And then from what I, like from my own experience, I think the quant people who I kind of see who aren't men tend to be white women. And so, and that's a pretty small portion anyway. And so thinking about like, what are those, what's the culture around quantitative work? why, when I'm thinking about this right now, do I kind of associate quantitative with men and qualitative with with women? Um, kind of like people associate developmental psych with women. Uh, it's just kind of one of those things where I think it's worth discussing and worth thinking about while also looking to science and literature on the topic to help inform where we go next and where the field should prioritize. What are your thoughts, Dustin? Yeah, I think this is also something that I think about when it comes to like coding work and working within our studio, which is inherently related to stats, but it, it, it seems like that is, I don't know, there, there seems to be a, and there is a gender difference that we see in just like from the beginning, who's encouraged to do these types of things. And it is ridiculous that that is the case. And I think we would both agree with that. Um, This research is coming from quick disclaimer. Kate and I haven't read this paper. Uh, It is coming out but it is in undergraduate business programs. And so what we're thinking, where our thoughts are coming from are our own personal experiences and how this manifests within like the psych space in a more quant psych area. And yeah, I think all of the, the majority of the stats professors that I have had have been white males. Mm-hmm. And I think I've had one female yeah 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 i've had one female stats professor um that was the class i did the best in stats in i also was particularly motivated that year to do well in stats um 
But yeah, I know it does kind of make me think about uh, visibility. I think sometimes I fall into the trap because like is, uh, I've always had women mentors um, and so for um, during my time in Illinois and I had this a very supportive male mentor, um, but it's never in the field of like psychology within itself. I've never had any like barriers because a lot of the people who've mentored me kind of look like me. And so I think of it as, and I am like immensely privileged. Um, at the same time, I've kind of always dealt with like a little bit of, um, you know, SAS anxiety, as I've mentioned before, uh, a little bit of like, when I do well in stats, I have like imposter syndrome where I'm like, oh, I must have gamed the system. I don't actually know stats. I also have, why can't I think of it right now? Um, stereotype threat. Yes, there it is. Uh, stereotype threat sometimes. I know, which is something I've talked about with uh, my Illinois mentor, which is like, he said, you know, like a lot of the stereotype threat work doesn't bear out. And yet he still kind of feels like, you know, it does have an impact on certain types of people and he's seen it. And again, like it's kind of this maybe discrepancy with like how you're measuring it and like what it looks like to me, like it's always felt very real. I, um, even though like in high school, I always scored well in my math classes on standardized tests. I never did quite as well. And I never thought of myself as quantitatively gifted, although it's something I'm interested in. And so um, I do kind of wonder if they're subtle, like uh, outside of this one study, but in my own life, if there have been subtle effects for not seeing people, not seeing women um, in the quantitative space that might uh, have kind of pushed me away from pursuing it as a primary interest of my own. Yeah. And I think like, as I've been trying to reflect on this more for myself and thinking about what values I have as a student and what things I, I see myself as being like more central to my identity. I usually think of quant and stats as being like, I affiliate that with myself a little bit more. Um, and same in like high school, I always enjoyed all my math classes and, and thinking about what are areas that math is very prominent in and it is like more stem heavy field which is again more male dominated um and usually those things are then associated and it i think it it's easier to like encourage from a societal perspective encourage males to to do those types of things and that type of work um which it doesn't need to be and then even in the spaces where we would expect like graduate school where everybody, all the students who are there are, are smart. Like if you're listening to this, you're probably smart because you're listening to Kate and I, uh, so that's inherently you're already a step above. Texas um, is smarter. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is, is smarter in Texas. Like you're in these, these intra-level courses and your instructor is hopefully doing a good job of instructing, but, will more easily dismiss, I think, comments from females and people of color, uh, at least from experiences that I've heard about from colleagues that there were more critical remarks towards those students versus like male students when they do speak up and try to participate in a way to say, hey, I'm not quite understanding this. And 
then get shut down, which then perpetuates this this feeling for that individual and then everybody else in the class. And it's just, it it's wrong. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah, I think it points to like the, like sometimes it's subtle forces, sometimes it's not so subtle forces. Yeah. Like I know like um, Shirley Wang had tweeted a uh, great Twitter follow, by the way, um, great researcher uh, that people tend to be surprised when she like, like reveals or like says something about her like quantitative aptitude. Um, and I think that's notable as like a problematic, like very obvious thing. I think they're also like, when you bring up that example, um, of like how questions are perceived, I actually, that's a really good point. Um, I think that's something that is like, kind of like reading tea leaves, right? Like where sometimes you'll get the same question and, um, cause I know I've been on the other end of it where I'll ask a question and someone assumes it's a really basic question when it's a question that reflects an underlying understanding of a concept, not necessarily in stats. And then sometimes I'll ask a question and someone will say, oh yes, like if you're referring to this and then go from there. And I think that's because you're reading the intent of the student, right? And that's where mm-hmm. these like subtle, like not subtle, but like not subtle to the person it's happening to, but subtle in the teaching um, quality can change where if you're being, if you feel like you're being taken seriously versus like, and you feel like you're like, it's an open environment to ask questions. Um, a big thing for me is always worrying whether um, I'm going to look stupid or if my question is like so basic. Um, and again, like I'm, I'm just one person, but like, I, I think, maybe my experience might speak to other women in science. Like I remember the first time I was just like totally embarrassed in a class and it was like high school chemistry. I was taking it as a freshman and um, it was a class that you're normally supposed to take when you are like further on in the math sequence. So my math was like at like whatever grade level it was supposed to be, but I was put in the advanced science class. And so I had this mismatch and so I, didn't understand some of the mathematical concepts we were learning because I hadn't gotten to them yet. And my questions were at that point, like so basic from a point of, I just, I hadn't learned that. And my teacher just struggled to understand what I was even asking. And in his like exasperation to figure that out, I just felt like it, like he would always be like, oh, you're asking that. Oh, well, that's like a simple, like, and then go from there. And he was a great teacher overall. I just, I remember feeling so embarrassed and then not wanting to ask questions and reveal my own ignorance. And so I think, you know, I'm taking a quant class now and the professor is great. I think he doesn't treat any questions as like dumb questions or bad questions. And I just, um, I like hope everyone, I hope people, I hope everyone can have that experience, but I know that's not true. I also know that I still bring my own privilege into this class, so I'm not a good, perfect reader of how it's being received. But and I think that goes in with like the conversations we had with Aaron last week of talking about what is mentorship mm-hmm. and how do you approach these things. And if you're, I think the intro, like those feelings that you're talking about, Kate, with feeling like you don't belong or feeling like you're asking really basic questions is part of graduate school like that's what we're all coming in here to learn and try to understand these things so I think that that feeling is like inherently there and then when you have 
systems reinforcing those beliefs, that's where things really fall apart. Um, and I think that's especially true for women and people of color. Uh, and I think it, it starts with those intro sequences and how they can be more open and inviting and have a more mentorship and training oriented mindset in, okay, people are coming in with all different backgrounds, all different understandings, different mindsets, and wanting to, when they leave your class, to be at the same level in one way or another. And that may mean more work for some students on your part as an instructor to, to help support them. But again, like the system isn't designed for instructors to take that extra time either. And that's what's so frustrating. Like I've been tutoring for stats for the past couple of years and that I enjoy that. Like I, that's something I want to keep doing as much as I can, because I think that is really helpful. But a lot of feedback that I get from the, from the students is just like reflecting on the process and how overwhelming and difficult it can be at times for no inherent reason. Like they're not gaining any inherent, they're not getting stats knowledge uh, for understanding how this particular equation is derived or proved. Like that's not gonna help them publish a paper unless they're a quantitative psychologist. And we're not. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, one of the things I was talking about with quant, maybe it was with you, but I think it was someone else, which is like, I, um, one thing I appreciate in my current class and like what I, I think a lot of basic stats classes don't cover is like they're so busy focusing on the like minute details of like I learned how to hand calculate an ANOVA, but I never learned that all all statistical models are essentially linear. Like what? Like I, I, so like I yeah. that's covered in my most recent class and um, my professor had this like fantastic slide where it's like some people like to think of it as like a decision tree. But I think what's better is if you have this kind of view of it. And I I really appreciated that. Like, that's the kind of view you need where there's like, okay, there are functional ways to approach this. And like, if you want to be functional, here's how you can like do it. But we want to teach you this broad skill set that you can then apply. Or it's important to understand the difference between Bayes and frequentists and how that like, how that affects like like what's the associate how does that like maybe inform open science and things like that those like bigger question kind of things um and we don't always treat stats in the way that we teach psychology which is um here's the theories behind this and here's um here's this view that is both applicable to you as well as like really relevant background info um yeah and also it just kind of reminded me like what you're saying is this other point is we've talked about this, like so much of grad school is having the humility to say like, I don't know that, like, but I'd like to learn. So I'm going to spend time in that, but that's under the assumption that a door isn't then going to close on you if you say that. And, um, or you don't have the fear of that happening. And so um, for me, like now it's both like finally being in an environment where I feel like I can do that. Um, and then after years of not feeling that way or worrying that a door is going to shut on me, um, saying that I, I, I don't know this yet, um, but I'm going to figure it out and having people who are willing to help you. Yeah. And I think I think stats is such a foundational piece of what we do as as psychologists, like 
this is how we make the claims that we're wanting to make of how certain treatments work or how particular backgrounds like we're relying on this statistical framework and if you don't have like that orientation like it sounds like your your instructor was able to provide with like this is a different framework of how you can view how to apply these things mm -hmm. and that's huge and if you don't have that understanding or like that comfort with that and being able to ask those questions and move forward then it's going to impact the type of research that you do and how it's going to per be perceived. And I, I think that is one of the, the key pieces to the replication crisis that we're in right now is that there wasn't like, not that there people didn't willingly understand or just like what it was, but I think it, we need to rethink the way that statistics is taught in particular and how we're making sure that it is accessed equally um, across all students. Yeah, and I think this kind of also loops back to, again, I'm not sure if we discussed this on a recording or not, um, but there was this tweet originally about developmental psychology and why it's regarded as like less rigorous. And someone made the point that uh, some of the social dynamics creative and not correcting people or things like that might result in like less statistically rigorous research. And I would argue that maybe that claim is first of all, not true, but second of all, that like, if you're being, and I do not feel like this, but if a lot of women are being pushed into developmental work instead of work that could be developmentally informed or um, things like that, and then into a culture of agreement without sign or without requiring statistical rigor. I think some of that is a further demonstration of the ways that we do women in academia disservice when you're pushed into a uh, pushed into an area and pushed into a social environment where less is expected of you. And I'm not saying that about developmental. That's not true at all. I'm just saying like into certain social spaces potentially. So um, that's a somewhat undeveloped thought that I may disagree with down the line. Um, hot take. Hot take. <laughs> Let's make it lukewarm. Uh, I hedge. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, how do we push people into certain stereotypical groups that may not match with like their actual research as well, right? That's, I guess, my extenuating thought on that. I need yeah. to think on it more. We'll probably revisit. Yeah. I think a lot of the things that were like, these things are related to a lot of different aspects of grad school, of just psychology as a field. And I'm sure they'll come up as we're talking in future episodes and probably in a lot of the past ones that we've already done. Just a quick shout out to the Within and Between podcast. Um, they are one of the the women is a developmental uh psychologist and the other focuses more on research methods so they talk a lot about these things and how uh they are stereotypically women are pushed into this field more more so than men um but quick shout out to within in between Ooh, uh, i'll have to check it out that sounds really good um yeah. So this kind of, I mean, I guess we can talk about grades later. I feel like this is headed into two areas that I kind of want to discuss. And like, 
within clinical too, I think there's an application for this concept, which is like, are more, do more women become clinicians from clinical programs than the men uh, who enter clinical program? Obviously, that's like a hard thing to make because the majority, if I'm correct, of clinical programs are women uh, or clinical psychology graduate students are women. Um, but also, uh, I just think back to my own experience of um, not necessarily being pushed into clinical because I definitely didn't have that experience with my mentor. And one of the jobs I worked out of grad school, uh, I what was emphasized about my work product was on um, my ability to run participants and the trust that my participants had with me and not my ideas or like data analysis skills of which like I had and had to employ for my work. But um, I was told that I was so good with the participants and um, other research coordinators were told to consult with me on how to talk to participants. And so it was one of those subtle things in which like I demonstrated competence in two areas, but only one was rewarded. And it wasn't an environment where ideas or things like that were, uh, were individual development of research ideas was developed in the same way. Um, and so I think that led me to thinking for a really long time that, oh, like, why, why would I do like just, or not just research, but why would I do research? Why wouldn't I do clinical? Because that's where I'm good and that's where I'm valuable. And I think, you know, we see that in a lot of careers and healthcare and things like that, which are then as women become a majority of the workers in there, it becomes less valued uh, as a society as well as less um, the pay tends to lower. Like if you look at obstetrics and gynecology through the years, that's like one example of it used to be majority male. Now it's majority female. Um, the culture has really changed and also the amount of pay relative to other uh, specialties in obstetrics and gynecology is much lower than it used to be. That is really interesting. That's not something that, that's not an area that I study or well, have. Just, uh, I don't have anybody in my family. <laughs> why, would that, I, why that example in particular? Um, no, I was actually, this is, I feel like my, my class on uh, uh, gender and media is playing hmm. into this idea. But um, yeah, there's also another concept we talked about in class, which is like who gets the leader, who gets in the leadership uh it's vertical and horizontal. I can't remember the words, but I have a midterm on it later this week. So shoot. Um, <laughs> I mean, today I'll be working on it today, but I'll let you know. Yeah. So all of these things that basically conspire to uh, affect women. And then you also see things that um, where women should be consulted or should be a part of, but aren't because the culture of the uh, workplace is predominantly male oriented. So what could you possibly be talking about, Kate? So first of all, let me acknowledge that briefly, I feel like uncomfortable because I feel like I've talked a lot more than you in this episode and I'm just really taking up space. And as a woman, I'm not supposed to do that. Um, as a white male, I demand that you stop and you must <laughs> listen to everything that I say and do. No, but within our friendship and relationship, I'm talking yeah. a lot. <laughs> but anyway, uh, thankfully. Um, so I read this article this week on uh, menstrual tracking apps and how 
the majority of the, like the original apps were started by men. They have these inherent biases within their data collection, which assume heteronormativity. Um, they don't take into account things like pregnancy, although they are very ovulation based. Um, and some examples where uh, someone had a nine month uh, menstrual cycle because <laughs> during that time they were forming a human. <laughs> yeah. Why would and, you do that? You need to be ovulating instead. Yeah. And so like the problem is it says this, it, this person was like, well, I couldn't put it in because then it would factor in that nine month period within the average of my cycle. And it would screw my whole like data for myself up. Yep. And then there's this other problem, which is like, it's very ovulation oriented on women getting pregnant or women preventing pregnancy and assumes male partnership. Um, the questions they ask, uh, you know, we looked at doing a project on this and working with one of the these apps and mm -hmm. the questions they ask are, you know, like I didn't think about this until we just thought of them as like not good research questions. Yeah. Um, but they also kind of strike me as belittling or like not maybe not belittling, but like um, in a way like gamifying and um yeah. what's the word i'm looking for but just um treating like serious symptoms as like light-hearted like little things like emojis. exactly emojis or yeah like weird um the emotions that they suggest in particular are like really one note and they don't capture any sort of spectrum i'll pull it up um because I just think it's really interesting. And then there are things where you can have your partner track your mood as well. So you have a more objective take. Hmm. And that's kind of wild. And there are whole lines of research showing discrepancies between that, between like uh, self-report and other report in multiple ways. And like, how meaningful is that? And it, maybe the difference is meaningful. And there are apps available to buy where men, well, presumably men, can track like, multiple people cycles with their own. Like, they can, yeah, it's this article is deeply upsetting to me. Uh, it wasn't a good time. Uh, so the emotions that this particular app uh, has are happy, sensitive, sad, and PMS. I have no idea what PMS means. I like what does that mean? That's not an emotion. No, it's not. It's described here with a hurricane or a tornado emoji. Sad is a raining cloud, happy is the sunshine that's smiling, and sensitive is a weird face that's like <laughs> that was really weird. It's I just can't a describe it. slanty face. I was like, I can replicate it, but is this correct? Yeah, that that that. Emoji. It's like stroke face, because like, like you got to... where it's like, oh, I I just realized that I farted and everyone heard it. That's the that's the face. I'm so sensitive. I was sensitive, and the energy is energized, high, lower, exhausted, and yeah, like the other things are the for your mental state. You can say focused, distracted, calm, or stressed, and then there, yeah, it's just like. It's kind of wild. Um, and this is like a, a very- This is one of the better ones. Yeah. yeah. It's very popular. It's um, There's this horrible name for it. It's called Femtech. <laughs> and um, it kind of leads into something. I think Dustin, you're the one who told me about it too. Um, so one of the researchers who talked about this, uh, she was saying like 
with her partner, she's like, there's no option of getting pregnant. And yet it always has that as a default of like, here's where you're like ovulation. And if there's just not enough um, flexibility to make it your own. Um, some are very feminine and they have just like really a uh, forced gender stereotypes like written into them and um anyway this like part of this um wheels of change that i appreciate is uh the data um data feminism fem well data feminism course that you told me about yeah, yeah. i think that was uh aggie didn't Aggie, shout oh, out to Aggie. Aggie. Yeah, yeah, shout out to Aggie, uh, Aggie Rieger uh, for the for alerting us to that. Um, and this is like fantastic course, which is saying like people always say like just look at the data and or like the data speaks for itself, but a lot of times it's the people collecting the data and the analyzing and things are never this like a life lesson. Like things are never as objective as you want them to be objective science isn't as objective as you want it to be when people like to minimize social sciences it's probably because they don't understand the complexities of measurement so i'm talking to you any hard people who call call it hard science or soft science if there you're were air quotes podcast, Kate had around that phrase oh yeah thank you yeah add you people to my enemy list anyone who doesn't recognize the rigor of social science you're up there i think and maybe this will turn into a measurement podcast at some point but yeah, yeah like we i think we as as social scientists and like as psychologists we recognize that a lot of the measures that we have are are not great but it's what we have right now like thinking about Kate and I can think about the same emotion. We can have the same word of happy or excited. And just that single word, sometimes then it's rated on like a five point scale of how often do you feel this? Or how do you feel like this defines your character? And there are lots of things like listeners, think about one emotion. It could be a positive or a negative. And then think about all the complexities that go into that, how much you value that or how that's valued in your, your social circle and the larger society and like how these things are all interconnected. And we're trying to boil that down into a single like five point scale. And then we get upset when it doesn't predict or, or yeah. it only predicts like things that you just magically find it predicts and then it never is found in any subsequent study. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, and then people criticize that. It's like, well, actually we don't, we could, I could go on a whole rant about the DSM and all that, but I'll save that for later or never. <laughs> okay. I mean, I know we're a gen general grad school pod but if we want to really delve into psych we could talk dsm i think that'd be pretty fun um yeah no i, I just it, it really bugs me uh, and they're just the field is so I, you know like i think anyone for whatever graduate field you're in like look at the history of your field like yes it's inherently problematic in some of the theories then maybe there are some downstream effects because of that um i can think of many for psych um and just a quick paper recommendation along those lines. Like um, 
evolution, the menstrual cycle, and theoretical overreach. And so this is a paper talking about how a lot of people, uh, I'm going to really butcher this description, but one point I've really taken away from it is a lot of people talk about evolutionary theory and how women act like sexual strategy stuff, like women choose, make different choices um, when they're ovulating versus when they're not. And this is because this is evolutionarily beneficial, whereas what it might be is you're more likely to have an increase in physical symptoms around menses. Because of that, you don't engage in certain social choices. This is not necessarily due to evolutionary changes per se, but because of individual differences in sensitivity to cycles. Not because you want to choose the best partner because of your hormone levels. Uh, it's frankly like kind of insulting to women and it's overly yeah. simplistic and it's bad science. And I could talk all day about my problems with evolutionary psych when frequently misapplied, <laughs> but take that. It's just like, I think people, people, do, people think that bad science can be disregarded. Uh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just making a straw man, but I think a lot of people think that like bad science will get washed out. But what, what we need to do is we need a great number of people to be competent in quantitative methods. I'm bringing it all back together. See, just weaving it together. Um, I got it. I got it. <laughs> And if you don't have a diverse number of people who are great at quantitative methods, then you don't have a diverse number of people who are thinking seriously about the potential biases in quantitative work because they haven't been given the opportunity to delve into it in a really directed way. That's a mistake. Yeah, we need the diversity of, of experiences in in our field, and we need everyone to have a similar understanding it's it's great for communication among scientists but then also when we're able to disseminate our research and what we're doing there and how we're communicating these findings moving forward with the general population or just with other people like this i i find myself going back to this quote which i can't remember who it came from i think that's the point of our podcast is we just say random thing random quotes hey someone else said this yeah, someone else said this. We're going to spend an hour. Badly summarized. <laughs> it is, uh, all models are wrong. Some models are useful. Your model is going to only be as useful as the parameters that you put in there. And if you're like measuring garbage things, it's not going to have good claims coming out. So you might- Garbage think, in, garbage out. <laughs> there you go. There's another one. And if you don't have that that background or that experience to understand why these things in your model aren't going to be useful, then you're not going to be able to make the claims that you want. Yeah. Speaking in like a, I'm going to just throw a quick idea, a not well-formed quick idea at you. Uh, you know, I, I just think more and more that one of the real flaws in our American education system is that stats is treated as like an extra class or it's like a single unit in a different math class is would be like having required coursework on statistics and integrating it with science because like I just you know I can't help but think like one of the huge failures of our system that is bearing out in COVID and our lack of understanding of like public health or epidemiology in particular is a fundamental inability to understand statistics. 
And, you know, we've seen a lot of, like, at least you and I have seen a lot of this on Twitter, but Mm -hmm. um, I just can't help but think, like, we treat statistics as so secondary when it really weaves into science and every single way and so but we just kind of treat it as this extra thing um i took pre-calc my senior year of high school instead of ap stats um because my parents said that pre-calc would be more helpful to me long term (laughs) jokes on them jokes on you mom and dad uh if you're listening thanks um but also you're wrong um like that shouldn't be the choice um like pre-calc was valuable and I liked the class it's really cool class to take but like I think stats would have been really great for me to take and learn why it matters and how it could be applied and then I probably would have done better on my freshman stats class I probably would have just not taken an intro stats class and I would have really kicked my problem downfield but um I think it's a really interesting point and I I agree with it and I think that God, that, let it be so yeah let's do it we're doing it we're changing the curriculum i think stats needs to be more integrated and then also like topics of diversity is a lot of times at least within clinical psych it seems like it's like you'll take this diversity training or you will take a course and you will know all things diversity you will and- know how to say things correctly about diversity without actually significantly integrating it into your own practices and thought Mm -hmm. processes and it's like science is that's what science needs to be is more integrative in that way and it does make things a little bit more challenging but we're also in graduate school to challenge ourselves and to try to integrate these things for us and like see what our values are and applying that moving forward to what goals you have as a career. By challenging, do you mean just like fitting that work in with all of the other things that you're expected to do? Oh, okay. That's so yeah. the, he nodded. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I think there's um yeah, I think there's obviously like some overhauls in need um in certain programs, like what's emphasized. What's been phenomenal, I think, in my own coursework, and I, you know, you're allowed in non-clinical fields of psychology, I think, to do this more, um, is that I've had... There are no other fields, Kate. Why are you talking about that? I know, right? Um, (laughs) Is that I've been able to, like, self-direct my learning, but it also is, like, it's a good bad, right? Because, like, I've chosen to, like, try and learn about, um, like, this semester I'm taking um, gender and media, as well as a class on, like, poverty and how it like how it informs our understanding of developmental psychology. That's been really eye-opening in a kind of disappointing way that I haven't had work on these like things sooner. Plus so with my gender and media class is just doing it in a really cool new way for me. Um, shout out, great class. But uh, yeah, like it's also not required. And so a lot of people aren't taking this coursework. This is because I want to. And I am thinking that that could be something that programs with more flexibility could be less flexible. I know we're always talking about increasing flexibility for students, but I think if you're going to create new leaders in the field who are going to improve the field, you want those things. I think it, again, boils down to a lot of the stuff that we talked to Aaron about last week with, with mentoring and what that looks like and what are the values of the mentors and when it comes to stats and other intro sequences, it's 
it's going to be when I, yeah, when I say challenging, it's like on the instructor more so than the students because the students are going to be learning and digesting whatever material they're given. It's that instructors are going to need to do things differently instead of teaching the course the same way they have for the past 20 years um, and like recycling things and it like taking that extra time to integrate these pieces that are important and need to be important and need to be emphasized because that is like what Kate said is how you develop new leaders in the field who are going to promote the well-being of of others instead of straight white guys and again yeah it's like a call I think it's like a call to arms for mentorship for people who are currently in quantitative if you're like hey I'm a like straight white male and I'm in quantitative and I feel targeted, fine. Um, then like do something. Uh, mentor people who don't look like you. Like create opportunities for people who aren't you or don't follow your exact path to enter your door, to enter your room. I think the best thing you can do for, like I think the greatest thing and the thing I'm enjoying the most about grad school is I'm, being mentored in an area that I love and I've started to have the opportunity to share what I love with other people. I'm really annoying about it, but I'm also, I try not to discriminate in who I'm sharing it with. Like, I think too, there's also a, um, I mean, you've been, I think before I used to think like this hitting on our women's issues part of this, which is like, wait, the the women things, the women thing. Okay. I can cross that off the list. Cross it off the list. Uh, I was talking, um, I think I've, I've always kind of been a little bit guarded in how I talk about my research or my interest in like women specific um, periods or I was talking about periods, but also periods like menstruation. Um, okay. And, I, thought I thought you were talking about menstruation. Yeah. I, I was thinking reproductive periods like uh, oh. puberty, pregnancy, menopause, but then yeah. also periods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, it's not like I've been like, oh, I've been dying to talk about the like intimate details of menstruation. Like not really, no, thank you. Um, but just like talking about it as a lived reality of, you know, like half of the population um, or like stories that apply. I was talking to someone, I, a guy I run with in the morning and I was talking about something related to my like running experience and um, how because of stress, everyone on the track team when I was in high school just stopped getting their period. And I was like, that's a bad sign. But I used to not be able to talk about that because I felt like it was limiting the, dis- like I didn't really, like that was kind of like where my bias or was like, people don't want to hear that. Like, no, it's like a generic, like I wouldn't bat an eye being like, all the members of the track team only slept for five hours a day, uh, like a night. <laughs> it's like a health marker. Yeah. Um, and so like opening the door to include more people is part of that. And for me, that's been, the reverse, which is like talking to men, um, which before I had these biases that it wouldn't be well received or that it wasn't an interested group of people who'd be interested in hearing about this from a research perspective or a personal perspective. And I was wrong. Like I, for the most part, I mean, I'm sure this is not, (laughs) I would imagine, um, based off of other males I know and other male communities I know that that's not going to be a universally received thing. But 
there's no harm in like opening the door of conversation to people so they can learn more about your experience and integrate it into their own worlds. That's why we don't have any listeners in Indiana because they don't. Why do you hate women, Indiana? Yeah. Get on it. Well, is that because of Mike Pence? Um, So yeah, I I guess what I'm saying is like, start telling Mike Pence about your period. Um, Tell him about him. What is, what is his Twitter handle? I think it's like vice president white guy <laughs> let him know about uh research on the menstrual cycle it will upset him potentially just tweet like literal periods just like lots of ellipses to him and then, and then he he'll will... be confused yeah which is no different than i think his we weren't gonna talk about politics kate <laughs> i know but it all it all roots back to the crossroads of america indiana <laughs> I still didn't figure out what what Ohio was. Ohio thing. So, I mean, I think that's all we have time for today. Um, unless you wanted to add in, well, we should talk about grades next episode. I think that yeah. that warrants its own forty minutes to four hours. Yes. Yeah. Now, I the the thing that I just wanted to to like offer is feel free to reach out to me or. I'll also offer Kate in her burgeoning stats. Yeah. yeah. And just again, like one of the things that's really made a difference for me is like talking to Dustin and having someone like Dustin open the door. So like also if you're a quant dude and you're looking for advice on how to do better then like talk to Dustin, um, he's thought a lot about these things and he's tried to be really thoughtful. And I appreciate that it's helped me increase my own confidence in statistics and particularly in coding um as that slowly slowly improves and i learn how to troubleshoot thank you thanks that's what i that's what i want i want everyone who wants to do these things i want them to have the skills to do that because it is it's another skill and yeah some individuals can be more like learn in different ways when it comes to math um and for some people it might just be a little bit more difficult but that doesn't mean that it's not it's not something that you can't do like you can definitely do this you can grad school so you bring it all back big. listen my brothers couldn't read for a really long time and now they're good at it so just because it takes you a while doesn't mean you can't become good at it shout out to matthew and patrick mccormick real bad at reading for a lot of years and now no shame matthew no shame patrick now they have plaques that say, me good read. <laughs> They're still not great at writing. They made the plaques themselves. <laughs> Just like you can, you will learn. You can understand these things. And I am more than happy to help support in whatever way possible. Because I think a lot of the ways that statistics in particular is taught is wrong. And that uh, it needs to be more open and inclusive to to people's different understandings and different familiarity with the different aspects when it comes to quantitative and coding in particular. Like our oh, like my old PI and your current PI used to say during the fall of 2018, to scary degree, let's burn it all down. <laughs> so let's burn it all down and head into future directions. Yes. I'm really good at segues. Um, they are really great. Sweep it all together. So we're going to do a twofold recommendation. So first of all, we're going to recommend beers and then we'll go from there. There is uh, one of my favorite beers 
It is by Victory Brewing Company uh, called Golden Monkey. It is delicious. It is a, a Belgian-style triple ale. Uh, it is sneaky intoxicating. Uh, it has a 9.5 ABV. So I can attest to that. It is wonderful because you only need one and you're good. But exactly. It, it's super tasty. Yeah, really like it. Shout out to Victory. You'll save money because you only need one beer. I started also, they have a, a sour monkey too, sour golden monkey. And that's been been pretty tasty. Uh, I think it's more of a summer beer for me. Uh, not usually into sours, but that one's pretty good. Oh, yeah. You know, I had a good hazy, uh, hazy, hazy IPA. What's it called? Mm-hmm. Yeah, hazy IPA a few weeks ago. But that was still when it was summer. So I'm going to uh, calibrate my recommendation. Also, I can't remember the name of it. Um, so I'm going to calibrate my recommendation towards winter beers and tried and true, a true classic Guinness extra stout. Um, best when consumed in Dublin, just miles away from the factory. However, I know, right? Uh, Dustin is moving his head back and forth in a really sassy manner. Um, it's, it's slightly less good from the U S. Um, however, can recommend during these cold, cold months. And then I had another one, but I have lost it. Really any coffee stout is good for you it's healthy even um is what i've learned in moderation of course oh okay yeah i mean actually if you've had i used to treat myself to after my long run that's why i would rock long run in the afternoon so not the morning i would treat myself to like a heavy stout in the winter nothing felt better um than a 3 p.m stout after a long run or a shower beer that's my other recommendation unless you're I feel like as a family man, you probably surpassed that point in your life. I was never into shower beers, even though that was something that was big on my hockey team. That was oh, a lot right. of guys do. Yeah, it was, it's a very hockey bro thing, it feels like. Oh, it's not a lady thing? Um, no, it's very gendered. Stop doing it, Kate. All right, well, so I'm going to stop doing that, so I'm not going to recommend uh Everyone can, can drink shower beers. Yeah, especially after a 10-mile long run. But you don't – no need to. Um, yeah, as far as non, uh, non-beer-related recommendations, I, you can tell I'm losing steam. My coffee's wearing off. That's all right. I've got a whole jar of coffee-flavored espresso beans. So oh, my God. That's so that's my keep me going. And it's, oh. it's such a bad idea. Yes. yes. Kate is raising her hand right now. Thank you. Yeah. I had another beer related thing. This is a request. I've always wanted to try the Chunky Monkey for Portlandia. So my future direction, and by always, I mean when I found out about it three days ago. So I'm going to try that if I can get my hands on it next week. If you're a listener and supporter of this show, Portlandia, Portland, Portland, it's not Portlandia, Portland <laughs> Brewing Company. <laughs> Send me Chunky Monkey. I'll talk you up on a podcast listen to primarily texans yep texas california is oregon even in our listenership no no it's portland maine oh it is portland maine and we know we don't have any maine oh, listeners. we have zero maine listeners portland beer company whatever your name is uh if you send me chunky monkey beer then i will 
make concerted efforts to establish a main listenership. Not sure how, not sure why, but no, I do know why. Because beer. Save me for myself. What's your di- what's your non-beer future direction? My non-beer future direction, I was, uh, because of restrictions for coronavirus, I couldn't go into the, uh, my daughter had a checkup, so I was out in the car and I got to read a nice short story um, called We Should All Be Feminists. And I am going to not do a good job with her name. She did a, a TED Talk about this. And this is this book is a summary of the TED Talk, which is really great. Um, but Chimamanda Gozi Adichie, I think that's how you pronounce her name. But it is great. It took It is a very short read. Check it out. I really liked it. We Yay. should all be feminists. We should all be feminists. Uh, <laughs> my recommendation is feminism. Um, uh, Good. All I, right. See you later, everybody. That's about it. Um, yeah, I guess my recommendation is staying off Twitter for the next couple of days because it's about to get pre-election wild. Um, as well as as my ongoing recommendation is, I really enjoy Five Thirty Eight and their politics podcast. Um, Nate Silver made this like great point that this is a really stressful time for a lot of people. We're all dealing with like this national anxiety and um regardless of no not gonna say regardless uh if you're hoping for the election to have a certain outcome similar to me um then it's just a time of stress and so i recommend you take care of yourself um sometimes that's maybe if you can turning an assignment in less quality than it should be uh taking care of yourself is a priority uh I think during the pandemic in the beginning, we were all really mindful and saying it's a hard time. You need to do what you need to do. And I think calls for that have kind of gone away. I know for myself, some of my empathy is kind of waning of late. And so I'm going to try and be more empathetic. So I think I recommend compassion, empathy, and taking care of yourself. I think that'll be, that's just be a, a common thing for this, which just reminders of take that, extra time go to bed a little bit earlier and like remember to always focus on on yourself because if you're if you're not able to engage with things then it means that you're you're not going to be able to to really learn them and bring them forward like again this is about you and be selfish kate and dustin are giving you permission to be selfish we'll write you a doctor's note i am almost <laughs> a doctor i'll write you a future redeem in six years doctor just doctors know um, uh, it'll be just master for me <laughs> people will accept that that'll be fine i'll in a, a year and a half from now hopefully fingers crossed i'll send you a master's note there you go as we well that'll be part of our merch you can buy a master's notes from us it's made me think of master of the house a song rpi also likes to sing <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you have a good one. Thank you. The You Can Grad Door is on a vacation.